Hey everybody! Welcome to Chance by Chance, a resource for young creators learning to navigate the professional field. Big thank you to Josh Johnson for providing the opening track to this podcast. There's a link to more of his music in the show notes of this episode. This episode is an exciting one. Exciting because it was a lot of firsts for me. My first Skype interview, my first time interviewing someone from outside the Twin Cities community, my first time coming in contact with an Emmy Award winning composer. The guest on the show today is Mac Quayle, who scores my all-time favorite show, USA Network's award-winning series, Mr. Robot. It's amazing! It's amazing. I could just rave about it for hours, but I'm not going to do that because I have a bio to get through. He's worked with Ryan Murphy on a number of hit series, most recently that's FX's Feud. He's also composed for Fox's Scream Queens, FX's The People vs. O.J. Simpson, and FX's hit series American Horror Story. He worked on Roanoke, Freak Show, and Hotel. That last one stars Lady Gaga. In addition to that television work, he's composed music for a diverse list of feature films and documentaries. His music for the documentary Autism in Love premiered at the 2015 Tribeca Film Festival, and the indie thriller L.A. Slasher premiered at the New York City International Film Festival. He's been an additional composer for Cliff Martinez, which we dig into during this episode, and can be heard in HBO's Emmy Award-winning series The Normal Heart, the movie Drive, Contagion, Spring Breakers, a lot of these you have probably seen. Mac was also chosen as one of six composers to participate in the 2013 Sundance Music and Sound Design Lab at Skywalker Ranch. Before getting into TV and film, he worked mostly as a producer, remixer, and keyboardist, working on over 300 releases, 40 number one Billboard dance hits, and earned a Grammy nomination for producing Donna Summer's I Will Go With You. Matt Quill has been awarded numerous gold and platinum records, as well as worked with some of the biggest names in the music business. He's created music for Madonna, Whitney Houston, Depeche Mode, Beyonce, Sting, it goes on and on. I want to say a quick thank you to Mac, of course, and also to Ali Bloxberg and Gabby Belzer for helping me get this interview arranged. The purpose of Chance by Chance is to assist young people in navigating the professional field. Exactly what I said at the head of this introduction. So we look at the lives and experiences of composers like Mac, theater makers, educators, scientists, all sorts of people connecting the dots of their trajectories and looking for lessons that young people can apply to their own lives and work. That's what I've been doing for myself and I've been overjoyed to see a lot of you doing the same. I've been having a lot of really great people reach out to me lately too, so thank you to everyone that's left reviews on iTunes or sent messages to my email. I'm really, really appreciating the feedback, so keep it up. I would love to hear even more from you. But for now, please enjoy, one and all, my conversation with Matt Quayle. Mr. Quayle, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So you are a ping-pong master of sorts of everything you've done in your career. I hear the highlight is playing with Peter Gabriel at Real World Studios. That uh, that still holds as a, as a highlight. 
Um, I, I, I wrote that a number of years ago, and it, it still holds as a, as, a, as a big moment for me. Yeah, that that's uh, one of the defining moments. I'm sure it's something you'll never forget. Do you have any recollection of who came out on top in that match? Well, you know, it was uh, it was an interesting match because it was doubles, which which I'd never played before, and you know, I, I considered myself a, a decent ping pong player, but uh, I'd never played doubles, so I was terrible, and um, Peter was my partner. <laughs> oh so wow! It was like. I was kind of embarrassed. Even though it was a high moment, it was also kind of a low moment at the same time. <laughs> do you uh, do you have a table at your house? I, I don't currently. I used to. Okay. But uh, yeah, at the moment, there's not uh, quite the right space for it. And is your recording studio at your house, or do you work on your tracks elsewhere? Um, I do work from home. I have a studio at, at my home. Awesome. Are you on the uh, the set of these different shows and movies at all? No, I. I mean, I will occasionally visit the set just to to, uh, to say hi, hopefully meet some of the cast members. But but yeah, my my work does not involve me being near or on any of the sets. Definitely. Do you enjoy that, or are there ups and downs of working on your own like that? Well, you know, it can be a little bit solitary when it's just me and my studio for, for long hours. But um, at the same time, that is a good space to be creative in. Definitely. So I know you got your start in New York. Were you also born there? I was born in Virginia. Okay. What can you tell me about your childhood growing up? Were your parents also artists? Yeah, we can cover all of that, maybe up through your your education in school and mentors or influences during that period of time. Actually, parents were not artists. Uh, my mother was a school teacher, my father a lawyer. But they took me at six and put me in the church choir. Okay. And that was my introduction to, um, you know, participating any type of musical endeavor. And I took to it, and then I did piano lessons, and then high school band, orchestra, rock bands. You know, that was all happening in Virginia. That first experience in the church choir, there was the choir master there who started me. You know, that's my very first musical mentor. He really got me started on the path. When I was about 15, there was a keyboard player in a, lo a local band invited me to check out his keyboards and um, he had what you know looking back was were these two like classic synthesizers <laughs> uh, CS80 and the Korg X20 and he played them played them for me allowed me to play them and it just it blew my my 15 year old mind <laughs> and set me on a path that I that I've been on since then he helped me buy my first synth, and not long after that, I got in my first band, and um, I've been playing with synthesizers ever ever since. Yeah, you've become known for it too. That's your style now. It's it's definitely a, a place I feel comfortable, you know, in uh, electronic music. Yeah. When did you make the jump to New York from Virginia? And were you moving, expecting to perform with a band, or what was the thought process there? Well, I actually 
when I got out of high school, instead of going to college right away, I I joined a, a band in Virginia and was was in that band for almost three years, uh, touring around the state. And it was like a full time job, playing a keyboard player, singing. And then when that ended, I decided it was time to to leave Virginia, move to New York, and I went to New York University with um, you know kind of just some vague ideas of what what I was going to do. Once in New York and being at NYU for two years, I landed an internship at a recording studio. And that internship very quickly turned into a job. Wow. Being like an assistant programmer. And and back in those days, what was a kind of a rare thing, a room filled with keyboards and synthesizers. What was the name of the studio? Um, It was called D&D Recording. Okay. They later became pretty famous as a hip-hop studio in New York. When I got there, they were doing a lot of reggae and various things, but they had a room sort of next door that they rented to this guy who had just a million, you know, synthesizers and keyboards. And that's what interested me. And so I very quickly sort of left D&D and went over to, to work with him. And before I knew it, I was doing sessions and learning all the stuff that I'd been really eager to get my hands on. So I didn't, I didn't go back um, after my, you know, that second year of college. And I followed this path into the music industry. I found producers that would hire me to work with them and, and remakers. And I became then a co-remixer and co-producer and then producer and remixer, very very much involved in dance and pop music in New York. Looking at that decision to not go back to school, what allowed you to step away from school and pursue this on your own? What, what were you thinking at that time? I mean, it was all because this job opportunity had appeared for me. By no means do I recommend that someone shouldn't go to school or finish school. But there was just this fork in the road, and I chose the fork that led me, you know, on this path into working in the music industry, uh, rather than the the path of continuing uh, with my education. You know, part of what I was studying there at NYU was music and music technology, and I I do wish that I had finished those studies. You know, my my formal education in music really only goes up to a point. I'm not um, as studied on music as I, as I could have been. Um, you know, I've learned a lot about it since then just by, by working and, and being out in the world. But, you know, I, I do have my moments of looking back, wishing I had, I had taken my studies further. Do you have any words of advice for people making the same consideration? Perhaps a job has come up as, as it did for you. Any words of advice there? I think for me, it was really about just following my gut. And my gut told me that the job was the path that I needed to take. Um, it wasn't an easy decision. Um, I had two years invested in NYU, and now I was going to sort of take a turn. But it also felt right. And I was, you know, going in to, to do music, which is what I wanted to do. It looked pretty good that I would be able to earn a living. Nothing guaranteed, of course. You know, that's, that's how I took the path, and it's led me a lot of, lot of different places. 
Definitely, definitely. Speaking of which, I know that in the early 2000s, I heard this in another interview, you mentioned that the music industry began to struggle. And so you moved from New York to Los Angeles with the idea of getting into film and TV music. I'm wondering what some specific changes in the music industry were that prompted the decision and how you see the music industry today. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, this this world that I was in in New York, producing, remixing, uh, mostly dance and pop music, um, you know, thriving in the 90s, doing remixes for pop artists was a very popular and lucrative thing to be doing. The major labels were all, you know, paying lots of money to do these things. Record sales, you know, every year were, were going up historically since the beginning of the music industry it just had been growth like every year Um, and then you know I guess a couple things happened whereas 1990 Napster came to existence (laughs) people could could, um, get music for free and also people were now able to copy CDs those two things started you know i think maybe it was 2000 was the first year that the sales actually went down in the music industry and then over the next several years they were going down each year and so one of the first things that i saw was those those big budgets for doing these remixes were pretty much just over at that point you know a lot of other things were happening too but that's how it affected me like somebody flipped a switch in the beginning of 2003 said okay we're turning off the dance remixes um, uh. i mean there was a, there was another factor in that particular sector of the business too which was that technology had been advancing as it does and where you know say five years before that you needed a fair amount of equipment to, to do something good sure it didn't have to be a huge studio anymore like it had been in the past but you still needed like a fair amount of equipment to do something quality. And now in the early 2000s, you just need a laptop, basically, and, and a keyboard, and you could, you could do a remix. And so the record labels you know, were aware of that, and they said, oh, what, instead of paying these professionals lots of money to do the remixes, why don't we get like 10 guys that are hungry to do it, who will do it for free, and then we'll, if we like one or two, we'll pay them a little bit of money. Like that, that started to become this business model, and um, that wasn't going to really work for me at that point. So, all of those factors contributed to my decision to move from New York to Los Angeles. And how long were you in LA before joining the Cold Case crew? Was there an interim period there? It was about two years. Okay. What did you do during that time? Uh, 2004, I moved into Los Angeles, and you know there was still a couple of little music business things, music industry jobs to do. I did, uh, I scored a independent film, like sort of the first thing I had done, and I did a pretty terrible job, to be honest. <laughs> and everyone sucks at first. Yeah, it was terrible. It was pretty terrible. I, I apologized <laughs> to the director like years later when I saw him. I said, "I'm so sorry about that." Oh man. Um, uh. <laughs> But um, and in and in um, the last sort of bigger music industry thing I did in 2005 was I went over to England 
and worked with New Order. Wow. On an album that they were that they were doing then, and it, it's actually in the in Peter Gabriel's studio. Wow. On the countryside in England, I didn't get to play ping pong with them that time because <laughs> I had been I had been there before. Uh, but uh, yeah, I spent I don't know four or five weeks over there with them working on working on their album. And at the same time, I remember you know, I was really starting to get interested in in scoring, and so. I bought this book, and my essentially my film scoring school was reading this book by Jeff Rona called The Real World, and um, really really great book gives you all the all the basics about pretty much every aspect of being in that world. Did you happen to come across it, or did someone gift it to you? How did you how did you find it? Hmm, I probably just came across it on the internet or something. I, I don't I don't recall. But yeah, I remember being over there and working on this album and then reading this book and thinking, yeah, this could be hopefully the next thing for me at some point in 2005. And then in 2006, I got offered the the job on Cold Case working for composer Michael Levine. And that was my first real, my first real job as a, an additional composer. Did you get that through an agent at the time? No, no, that was... Through, I had met Michael through a mutual friend. Wow! And um, had been gently nudging him. You know, <laughs> was was there any way we could work together? And I sent him a reel of music, and he, he called me almost immediately, saying, "Wow, this is great! I would love to find a way to work with you." Which almost never happens, by the way, when you send out a reel of music to anyone. <laughs> Just for the listeners out there, don't feel disappointed if you send a reel of music. It was it was fortunate for you. It was fortunate for me, but it but it doesn't. It's most of the time it doesn't happen, and so I most of the time you send a real a music to someone and you never hear from them. <laughs> um, but but that time Michael called me like the next day and said, "Hey, this is great," and I, it was still another maybe six months and before he had a he had a spot for me in, in Cold Case. Yeah, the the stars aligned there. You've had relationships with not only Michael, but with uh, Cliff Martinez and Ryan Murphy. I'm wondering how you met these different people. I mean, I, I've never lived in Los Angeles. I know it's a, a huge city. I'm just kind of wondering how you have made these different connections and how relationships and partnerships developed over the years. Well, you know, actually those three names are, are all linked. I mean, Michael introduced me to Cliff. We all lived in the same area of Los Angeles. So we were kind of neighbors in a way. Okay. And um, he introduced me to Cliff, uh, who I was a big fan of. And then, you know, it wasn't that long before Cliff thought he would give me a shot on something. And I, I worked on a film with him, and it went well, so he asked me back. And I guess from, you know, it was right around that same time, 2006, maybe, maybe almost 2007. From then up until 2014 I did the 12 films with Cliff and all in that in the role of additional composer or programmer helping him to uh, do his music and, and crank out cues for various films what exactly does that role entail for those that are interested in in composing I mean in my experience with it is that you know the main composer you know in, in those two examples like Michael or Cliff they're dealing with the directors or producers of the project, they're conceptualizing what's going to happen. 
you know, on any given cue, they might come up with a sketch of what they think it should be. And maybe they have a theme that they've written, and now they've, they've, they've sketched it out with a simple instrument to the particular scene that it's being written for. And then um, they would speak to me and say, hey, so this is a basic idea, and now can you, can you develop it and take it, make it almost a finished cue with these types of sounds and this type of, you know, they'll give, they'll give me direction on, on what they're looking for, and then I'll go and work on it. And once I have something I think is, is worthy, I'll, I'll send it back to them, and then they'll listen and either say, that's great, or that's terrible, or that's almost it. Let's just make a few changes. And once the changes are made, then it's submitted to the director or producer who then, you know, weighs in on it in the same way, whether it's good or bad or almost. Yeah, yeah. And uh, getting back to the link between those three names, we were talking about the films you'd worked on with Cliff. Some really wonderful films over the years, too. I feel very fortunate. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of many of the films. Drive, of course, is a bit of a classic now, almost. Yeah. You know, Contagion, Arbitrage, The Company You Keep. There was quite a few. And the last film that I worked on with Cliff was a film called The Normal Heart, which was directed by Ryan Murphy. Mm. During that process, I met one of Ryan's producers and his picture editor. You know, they were really great people, and we all hit it off. The four of us were at Cliff Studio, you know, making some, some tweaks to the cues. It was a nice experience. I guess maybe six months go by, and um, I haven't had any contact with, with them. And the phone rings, and it's the producer, and she says, hey, we're going in a different direction on American Horror Story, and we were wondering if you might be interested in writing a cue for us this afternoon <laughs> i said yes i wrote the cue and the next day they called back and said can we speak to the new composer of american horror story just like that wow so it was pretty pretty crazy that's continued over the years too you recently worked on uh, american crime story which was awesome and also scream queens now so you you and ryan have been frequent collaborators Yes, yeah, those three, and then the most recent show is called Feud, that premiered uh, in March, and it's about a little more than halfway through. I think there's, there's three more episodes to air. Very cool. When did you come into contact with Sam Esmail? Was that also a personal reference? That was. That was um, one of Ryan's editors called me after we had completed the first season of American Horror Story that I worked on, which was actually season four of the show. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be working as a writer on this new show called Mr. Robot, and I've recommended you to Sam Esmail, the creator, and he would like to meet with you. What did that first meeting with Sam look like? It went well. It went really well. You know, we talked a lot about the pilot episode, which they had, they had already shot and edited and we talked about, you know, what the music should sound like. And, the, you know, the idea was that it would be electronic, a very electronic score. You know, he knew of my work with Cliff and was a, was a fan of Cliff's work. And, 
basically by the end of the meeting, he said, I, you know, I think you're, I think you're the guy, but would you mind doing a demo? Um, I said, sure. So I, I wrote a cue and um, he, he really loved it. He said, it's not right for this scene, but I love it. <laughs> so he hired me anyway. We ended up using bits of it in some other scenes and I wrote something else for that scene. But um, that's how it, that's how it started. You really love the show, too. I, I've heard you say in a few different places that you'd be watching it even if you weren't working on it. And then there's also the uh, me in 30 seconds video where you're sitting in front of a computer much like Elliot does in his apartment and you're you know, using the language of the show to describe how you hack into the, <laughs> hack into the audience and affect their mood with the music. It, I really enjoyed that one. Well, that I think uh, shows I'm a bit of a fanboy around the show. Um, yeah, I, I do. I just think it's a special, special moment in TV. There's not really anything else like it, and it just has a lot of elements that are are pleasing to me. So I'm yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be part of it. Are you uh, gearing up for the third season currently? I guess gearing up in the sense that I'm waiting to hear from them as far as when they think I might start. Sure. I think I'm going to shoot soon. They're going to start shooting. So I'm, I'm probably a, a few months away from starting on the music. And again, for those interested in composing down the road, or today even, when you get the film from the directors and producers, how do you go about beginning to write for it? It always starts with a conversation about what they are looking for, what they want the music to do, what they want the sound to be, you know, and that's in a general sense. And then specifically for each scene, you know, where the music will start, where it will end, what moments it needs to accentuate. So all, all of those things are my starting point before I go in and begin writing. And in the studio, what programs are you using? Um, my main workstation is Logic Pro. Okay. I've used that for many years now. It's a very simple setup, actually. You know, Logic running on a, <clears throat> a Mac Pro uh, with a lot of plugins, a lot of virtual instruments, sound libraries, custom sounds. It's kind of interesting to me that as I've look back at the path my career has taken me on you know my very first studio if you could even call it that i mean it was tiny and then it grew a little bigger and got a little more powerful and then it grew even bigger and got more powerful and it kept growing bigger and getting more powerful and then there was a certain point where it started to get smaller yet continued <laughs> to get more powerful so i'm back now as far as equipment you know i'm back down to size of say like a very early studio yet it's way more powerful than it's ever than it's ever been that's incredible the times change that's for sure yeah the computer it's all about what's happened with that anything else that you have witnessed over the years this doesn't necessarily have to be limited to music but any ways of being in the world or, or thought processes that have developed and changed as time has gone on for example, I know that you recently became a father, and oftentimes guests on the show comment on how parenthood has changed their ideas of time or, or different elements of their life. So I always like to ask if there 
have been any moments that have changed the way you think about the work that you do or or your reason for being in the world well i mean you know since you mentioned uh the parenthood that uh you know that's certainly been a, a, a shift we have a young daughter and an even younger son congratulations thank you so you know that's like i'm not out in the world earning and creating just for my own you know just for me anymore now i'm provider and taking care of my family it sort of gives it all a whole a whole different purpose than what it had before and then at the same time it becomes a whole new challenge as to finding the way to make use of my time because I, I don't I don't have as much time available as I did in the past with you know with being a father and then also working so much so it's it's a very full schedule and I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to sort of maximize where I'm putting my energy anything you found so far as far as productivity goes <laughs> I do better when I stay off of Facebook that's for sure <laughs> yeah you and me you and me both and you know there was something that I came up with a couple of years ago that has been helpful I, I don't have to do it every day but when things are really busy I will get up at five in the morning like a couple of hours earlier than the family and I will I'll spend a couple of hours working then um, rather than like staying up late after everyone's in bed and I found that to be very helpful it's a quiet time I can get a lot done and then you know then I can stop and spend a couple of hours getting the, the kids up and ready for the day before I come back into the studio again so that's been kind of a useful another composer told me that that's what that's what they did and I thought oh maybe I could I could try that yeah and, um, it's yeah it's it served me it served me really well great well speaking of time and being respectful of your time I'm going to uh, to wrap up with some more rapid-fire questions first of all I've got to ask are you a one or a zero <laughs> I'm a one <laughs> Uh, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Follow the gut instinct and uh, trust that it'll, it'll lead you to the right, the right path. Awesome. Uh, what advice might your future self give to you now? Now is an amazing time to be a father with young children and make sure that you... you are aware of that hmm. and you balance the family with the work beautiful if you could be absolutely anywhere in say five years what does life look like what's the good life in five years time <laughs> what's the good life in five years time yeah well my my family is is healthy and happy and um, I'm continuing to work um, people are continuing to appreciate what I'm doing. I, I would like to perform. I've been a performer throughout my career, and um, I have my first my first couple of shows coming up where I'll be performing, you know, music from my scores. So I, I would like to be doing more of that. And um, you know, I've been super fortunate to be recognized by the TV Academy with uh, Emmy nominations and, and one win. Yeah, congratulations on that as well. That was really amazing. Thank you. 
So that kind of makes me want to be recognized also by the Motion Picture Academy in a similar way. I have a dream for that as well. Make it happen. That's awesome. Who else are you impressed by today, in music or otherwise? Who's doing good work? Oh, there's so many, there's so many good people out there. Hmm. Well, let's see. Uh, composers. I'm quite impressed with uh, Sean Callery, Nathan Barr, Jeff Russo, uh, Junkie XL, Hans Zimmer, of course. I mean, there's all the, the like the super big guys that you know kind of almost don't need to be mentioned like you know john williams and the like yeah yeah i think those guys that did uh stranger things are very interesting wow there's, there's a lot there's a lot of talented people out there there sure are and finally where can people find you mac you mentioned you have some performances coming up do you want to refer people to your website or places they can learn about those sorts of opportunities and find your music um i do have a website which is maccoil.com I'm on Facebook. I have a, a music page on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter, all under the name Mac Quayle. Um, nice and simple. You know, these two shows that are booked at the moment, one is here in Los Angeles at the end of June. It's being put on by the Television Academy. Wow. And, uh, there'll be a, a number of composers, each performing a, a piece or two. Um, so I'll, I'll be part of that. And then a week later... I'm performing in Malaga, Spain for um, the uh, Malaga Film Music Festival. And that'll be my own performance of music from, from Mr. Robot. Oh, man. I got to get over to Spain. Yeah, let's go. Sweet. We'll play some ping pong. Okay. I like that. <laughs> well, Mac, thanks so much for the time. It, it was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, thanks very much for all the work you've been doing. I hope that the success continues. Thank you so much for, for having me on your on your show. Hey all, that was Matt Coyle, and that is a wrap. Chance by chance, subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already, follow me on SoundCloud, and all the social media platforms. The easiest way to do these things and more, including signing up for the newsletter and supporting the podcast through Patreon, is to go to www.chancebychance.com. There's links to everything. And like I said before the episode, give me some feedback. I've really been enjoying hearing from all of you, and I'd like to to hear some more. Get in touch. Until next time, thank you for listening.